How we doing guys? It's Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development one tip at a time. Welcome to our first ever self-improvement sit down. If you don't know what that is, it's because I've never talked about it before. But basically, instead of sharing a two minute, short, loaded tip of a new theory or technique like I normally do, I wanted to start slowing it down and have more of a conversation with people who I know have so much more to offer than what can be shared in a two minute segment. In this way, we can go into more detail about the in-depth reasoning and arguments behind certain thoughts and learn about personal development in a way we never knew before. If you don't have time for a 15-20 minute episode, then no sweat. We'll continue our core daily tips as usual. But if you're looking for something special, that little extra, then hang tight and listen close. So let's get started with our first guest, Ben Bradbury. And we are live with our first self-improvement sit-down. I've got Ben Bradbury, and I got a treat for you today. I'm super excited for this conversation. So first, a little bit about Ben. So he is a storyteller by trade. He was the VP of marketing for a tech startup in New York. He took his ghostwriting side hustle full-time and moved back to London, which is where he's from. You'll hear that. He's British. And he's now living in Bali, building his company, which helps high performers and fast-moving companies nail their pitch and attract the right customers with the right message at the right time. He's also the host of Subject Matter, a podcast focused on discussion and debate where listeners have to make up their own minds about the topics the news overlooks. Want to learn how to break out of society's mold and think more for yourself? Subject Matter is the podcast for you. So Ben, thank you so much for coming on today. And I'm just curious, kind of what was the origin of Subject Matter and and what was the impetus for you to get started with that podcast? What's the mission? Well, firstly, thanks for having me, Brian. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So the story behind Subject Matter started in July 2018. I was coming up to the end of a year in New York, and I had no idea what was going to be next. My visa was running out in a month's time. I sort of knew that I wanted to move back to London, but I didn't know what the future was going to hold. And I just met this guy called Tom Worcester at a conference the month before. We went for lunch on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and over lunch, I told him my dilemma, and Tom says... Let's go to WeWork Madison next Saturday. We'll book out a room and get a whiteboard and figure this out. And over the next five hours on that sunny Saturday cooped up in WeWork, we figured out what my core beliefs were, what set me on fire, what I wanted and what I needed and what the roadmap was to make that happen. And I came away from that session with pretty much the most clarity I'd had all year on where I wanted to go. Now, you might think, Brian, how does this actually link to subject matter? Well, let me tell you. When I was in that session, I was telling the story. And Tom is a relentless devil's advocate. He was ripping it apart and calling me out. And then a couple of days later, Tom texted me and said, I've got an idea. You know those stories you told and you know how I disagreed with them? I think that could be a podcast. And so subject matter was born because every week on the show, I tell the stories about the subjects that matter and Tom rips them apart. And so something that was able to create immense personal transformation for me has ended up being the foundation of our new podcast and of our show. 
Dude, that's exactly how great things are born. So, I mean, if I talk about self-improvement daily too, it was just kind of a void in the, in the market of personal development was something I was trying to address. And also I created a volunteer website just because it's the same thing. There was a need and I want to provide the solution for it. So I'm a huge advocate for that. And I'm glad that you're filling that need because obviously people are loving it and people are benefiting from it. So, so I appreciate you making that resource, but I do, I do want to pick into it a little bit more because I know that you're talking about disagreeing of opinion and the importance of that. So what, what really is the value in disagreement between two people and who should you disagree with in the first place? When is it worth your time? That's a good question on who you should disagree with. I think the first filter is people that you respect. You don't want to be disagreeing with people who are trying to stand out. Generally, the people that you want to disagree with don't actually want the attention in the first place. But the principle that this is based on, of Brian, and this is one of the things that I come back to a lot in my own life, is I'm not looking for people who will echo my points. I'm not looking for people who, t who will tell me that I'm right. I'm looking for people that will expand my worldview. Because here's the thing. Everyone listening to this podcast and me and you, Brian, we both know not even 1% of the world's total knowledge. There's a very small chance that we are totally right about everything we know. And that means it's in our best interest to accelerate that process of finding out what we're wrong about as quickly as possible. And for me, one of the best ways to do this is to build tightly, tightly knit feedback loops with smart people who have different ways of seeing the world. So the people you want to disagree, who want to disagree with you are the people who see the world differently from you, people who've had a different upbringing, who come from a different country, who are from a different religion, from a different company, people who see the world fundamentally different to you, those are the kind of people that I'm looking for. Totally. No, and, and I think kind of what you're touching on and something that is important for me is just the appreciating perspective, knowing that people have different lenses that they view the world from. And something I preach on the podcast is having a perspective of positivity. Um, but, but perspective comes in so many different ways. Like you said, I mean, there could be religion, nationality, orientation. I mean, there's so many different ways to see things. And you're right. You don't have the full picture uh, until you get that in, until you get that lens um, from other perspectives. So it's definitely something that is valuable. So let me ask you this. If, if perspective is the key ingredient, and that's something you're doing with self-improvement daily, right? In your opinion, what would you say is the best way to build perspective for someone listening to the podcast? Right. Well, I mean, yeah, that's a great question. And that's kind of what I do is I try and incorporate perspective that is beyond uh, my own thought and my own routines. So, I mean, a great example of that is that there are so many tips and techniques on self-improvement daily that I don't necessarily do, but I still want to share share about them because, you know, let's say it's, you know, the 50-10 rule. You work for 50 minutes and then you take a break for 10 minutes. That's something that I tried and it didn't work for me, but just because it didn't work for me doesn't mean it won't work for someone else. So having that intention to present information that disagrees with your own perspective might be valuable for someone else. And that's my responsibility as an educator in the personal development space is to, to first expand my own mind and understand that there are options that might work for me that I'm not aware of, which is kind of the, the personal value of perspective, but then also that civic duty to have an open perspective when you are trying to interact with other people. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, which I think is a fascinating concept. And I play that fine line on the podcast because you're right. There is, this, there is this place where you need to have the authority 
uh, to speak about certain topics because you need to understand the concept inside and out. But right. then the secondary part is maybe you don't have enough information at hand to talk about it and you're more exploring it and figuring it out as you go. So no, it's an interesting dichotomy between the two. Definitely. I think to the to the second point on on context and trying to get it from someone else, I think Charlie Munger has a really interesting idea on this. So Charlie Munger was Warren Buffett's right hand man. He was the the secret weapon, if you like, of Berkshire Hathaway and um, was a reclusive guy, very outspoken. But in his book, Poor Charlie's Almanac, he talks about this concept of getting the big ideas from the big disciplines. And as a way to get perspective, I think this is a great framework that everyone listening can apply. And it's very simply to understand what is the big idea from a specific discipline. So history, for example, history is always destined to repeat itself. Or economics, the economy, especially in capitalist societies, is like a heart that contracts and expands. It goes from the rich grouping all their wealth together and then the wealth is distributed when the heart expands via governmental regulation or a violent uprising. And just understanding these big ideas that come from the disciplines means that when you talk to an economist or you see some science in the news or something else comes up you can just make that link that much quicker your perspective is that much more informed yeah and i I mean kind of the the first thing that i thought of too is i mean talking about warren buffett you know one of the most successful people in the world the fact that he has a right hand man just really is proof of concept that perspective is that vital he acknowledges that he doesn't know anything and that he he needs to rely on someone else and their own insight to inform him on how he should think about things so no i mean it you know it's fascinating cool i mean we could talk about that for longer but i do want to jump into kind of one of the the podcast episodes on subject matter that really stood out to me which was about saying yes or no to life and this is uh, this is personally really interesting to me for a couple of different reasons that we'll probably get into in this conversation but i mean just kind of at surface level um, what what do you think about saying yes or no to life you know when's the right situation for each i mean let's let's get it started so I think broadly speaking, and I'm careful to say broadly here because there are exceptions, but yeses give you more chance of opening doors that you can't control, whereas noes are going to open fewer doors, but they're more likely to be the right bet. So if I say yes to something, and I say, if I take the perspective of Jim Carrey in the film Yes Man, and I say yes to everything. Love it. My band, great film, great film. My bandwidth is going to fill up in 30 days, right? I'm going to have so many projects on my plate. And this is something that I was guilty of early in my career. I'd always see the glass half full opportunity within the opportunity. And so I'd find myself plunging into these projects and these ideas and these business models that I just couldn't commit to. And so many of them ended up fizzling out. And now... Where I've, where I've come to full circle is to realize the power of saying no. Now, the real value of no is not necessarily the extra hours that you get back. But for me, it's more about the mental bandwidth that you find yourself saving. So, yes, you could have an extra four hours in your week to work on a project, but that doesn't include all the Slack messages, the texts, the impromptu responses that you've got to have, and the continual weight and space that this project takes up in your brain. Now, if that project isn't there, yes, you get the four hours, but much more importantly, you get the focus. And so for me, 
I'm trying to now really narrow in on what are those core priorities for me, the things that are going to move me forward. And I'm only saying yes to something if that if that means dropping another project. I've seen what happens when I stretch myself and I end up too fragmented. And so now, no's are much more powerful. So well, let me ask you a little bit more about that because you kind of mentioned a transition from saying yes to saying no. So how can you be confident that you're in the right spot to start allocating resources toward one project instead of still kind of toeing the water in a bunch of different places? Because I, I kind of have a different opinion that I, I want to share after, you know, talk about contradiction. But Right, right. I'll give you my two cents. So I think especially when you are getting started in your career and a yes is your secret weapon. So what you're really looking to do is build relationships with people that are smarter than you and kind of hone in on what are your strengths, what are your unfair advantages, and you can hone in on that by asking yourself, what do I find easy that a lot of my friends find hard? That's probably your unfair advantage. And then you want to offer that skill to people who have the potential to make doors open. So for me, I realized that it was writing and being able to get inside other people's heads and see their points of view. And that turned into ghostwriting, which I said yes to and offered to to for free for one influencer particularly on LinkedIn and after four months of working with her that turned into doing content strategy for a book which became an Amazon bestseller and so I won't cut, sit here and slate the powers of yes but what I will say is that I think the the transition moment comes when you have that momentum when you've realized this is the direction that i want to go on you've started to build that handful of core relationships and you've started to build a foundation behind your career because then yeses have a more insidious implication which is that rather than opening the doors towards new possibility they are closing the potential for you to accelerate the doors you've already stepped through it's opportunity cost right the more projects you take on the less you're able to execute on those projects so when that becomes a serious consideration for you i think it's time to start saying no yeah well yeah i mean i i agree i, I feel like there is that that trade-off right there's that trade-off between being open to saying yes and trying new things and obviously to have your bandwidth just sucked in but then this is kind of a hot point for me too because i mean if we talk about my recent tedx talk it was called do it for the story and it's basically about saying yes to life and to opportunities that you didn't know existed and how that might present the next solution or breakthrough that you're looking for that you didn't even know existed right and and i actually use uh yes man as an example in my talk because that is the concept that i was going for but to talk about kind of as you progress in your career and reach that next frontier of how yes actually becomes weaker than no. I, I want to give an example of someone that I think is doing great things. I'm a big Gary Vaynerchuk fan. And Gary V, you know, he, he vlogs, he does all of these different ways that he documents his process. But you see him so often take random meetings with people. And he tells you, he's like, and I remember one guy that I'm actually close with, named Manu Goswami, also talking about in the TEDx talk. Um, he had a meeting with Gary V. And in that meeting on YouTube, you hear him say like, why did I take this meeting? I don't know. I felt like I just had a good feeling about it. I don't know what's going to come from it, but I felt like it was the right thing to do. So even someone who is a high achiever, a high performer like Gary V, he still found value in saying yes to something random that probably was less valuable in the moment than something he could have been doing otherwise. So, so that's why I'm trying to figure out where I find that fine line between 
the trade-off of saying yes and no and really investing resources versus exploring. And it's also something interesting that I'm thinking about from a social impact perspective, you know, because there's so many opportunities to give back. And a lot of that is out of the goodness of your heart. So identifying when to say yes to those and to sacrifice the productivity maybe on the professional side is also uh, a trade-off that I'm quantifying personally and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. That's interesting. I think one thing on the on Gary's point is that yes he he's t said yes to a random meeting but there's also a pretty significant decision tree which he's played out behind that and by a decision tree a great point. i mean where where you'd start at the top and then you'd say is this person does this person have potential yes or no how much potential do i think this person has is it more than eight out of ten okay if it's more than eight out of ten and they are 21 22 in their career and i take a chance on them this could come back round in a really good way in five ten years and that's probably the kind of decision tree that he went through with Swish, right? Swish is a smart guy running his own company, and he he would have recognized that. Now, I find it hard to believe that Gary would have said yes just on a whim of saying yes to someone for the sake of it. That you have to be calculated with the, the yeses that you give. But I also do believe in placing bets on people as well, people who are just getting started, figuring their thing out. If you can extend them a hand of benevolence, then remember your career is a long-term game and that might come back round in two, three, five, fifty years. Sure. No, that no, that's a great point. And no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I fully understand that Gary was very strategic and intentional about that decision. I mean, he saw something in Swish, he saw something in that opportunity that obviously was something he wanted to invest his time in. But, you know, obviously, so his relationship with his career, you know, his time is so valuable as a keynote speaker. He's charging ridiculous amounts of money for an hour, you know. So for him to kind of invest that hour somewhere else, I don't know, it just fascinates me how we all have that different that different line that we're looking to cross or that, that different kind of frontier mm -hmm. or, yeah, understanding of how our time is valuable and, and when we need to be exploring versus when we need to be investing. So, right, yeah, awesome. Cool. And then I know something that we've talked about uh, before and something that I'm obviously blown out and uh, I'm interested in exploring more with you because you obviously have a very, um, you know, a very kind of rigid and strategic mindset when it comes to the decisions that you're making is how does accountability work into your high performance? You know, how, how does either internally, how does your own motivation and things that you're excited about as an individual affect you? And then how does maybe a conversation or an external accountability mechanism affect you? And which one is more effective for you when you're trying to get something done? And, and the intent behind it, what's what works best for you? Mm -hmm. So external motivators will get you to complete your to-do list and will be great for short-term performance. But internal and intrinsic motivators will and are the difference between high performers and ultra high winners. So to explain that, for me, the external deadline is a great motivator and specifically being able to construct situations where you have very real accountability to deliver to. So clients are a great example of this. I know I have a big week next week. I'm delivering three different brand strategy guidelines to three different clients and I'm doing a LinkedIn profile, and I've got a bunch of content that I'm writing, and that's just my client work, right? That, that doesn't factor in everything else that I'm doing. So I know for a fact I'm gonna have to raise my game next week. Now, that's the external stuff, and that's going to pay the bills, and it's going to get me doing work. But ultimately, 
that doesn't account for why I'm doing it. And the intrinsic motivator, I think, is far more powerful. It's subtle, but it's something that can guide you. So for me, for example, I know one of my unfair advantages is writing. And right now, I, and, and this is a realization I had a while ago and will be relevant for the rest of my career, there's two things you have to do to be a good writer in the words of Stephen King. You have to read a lot and you have to write a lot. So I realized this back in January, but those are the two kind of core skills that go into writing alongside, of course, getting strong feedback from other smart writers who can improve me. Now, that means that there's no accountability, right? No one is whipping me, telling me to become a better writer. There's no deadline on this. I'm writing a book right now, and that book doesn't have a deadline. If I don't decide to put pen to paper, the book never gets written, right? And mm -hmm. the idea will stay in my head. So that means there has to be an intrinsic motivator. I need to work out why am I doing what I'm doing? What has set me on this planet and what do I believe I can offer the world? And when I have that nailed down, then that fulfillment and that fire is burning within, that's going to burn much brighter than anyone else's flame ever could for me. Right, well, well let me ask you this. I mean, you talk about this project of writing a book how much progress do you make on it every day? And are you satisfied with the amount of progress that you make every day? Some days I'll make none, and some days I'll make a lot. I don't work on it every single day. What I try and do is theme my days. So the, the days are themed regarding to the project I'm working on. And those themes are very simply monetization. So what's gonna pay the bills and make more bills? systematization, how can I improve the mechanisms of the business, and then audience growth, how am I going to build an engaged community around my ideas, and this is creating episodes of subject matter, this is doing my writing, and this is also doing the book. So, for example, today was an audience growth day, and right before this I hopped on a call with a good friend of mine to run him through some of the ideas for my book and got some great research, so that was a big leap forward. But I will say this, in in relevance to your question. So as you said in the intro, I've moved to Bali very recently. I've been here 10 days. And last week, I had my most productive week on the book to date. I managed to compile all of my notes and figure out a broad structure, what the chapters are gonna look like. And now I have a pretty good understanding of where the structure is going. And I think that's possible because of the environment. And I really mm. do want to stress to everyone listening, if you're trying to make progress on a big project, especially some kind of creative one where you are trying to think and trying to use your knowledge and your mind, then change your environment. You might not have to get on a plane to go 10,000 miles away, but get out of your city, get out of your town, go away for the weekend, turn off your phone, and give yourself the headspace to make that breakthrough. Because for me, that was both an external motivator, I had the, the benefit of moving to a new country and meeting all the new people, but it was an intrinsic internal motivator as well. I realized that by having this, this newfound headspace, I could write a better book and I could be a better writer. So really, Brian, it comes down to balance. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting hearing you kind of walk through uh, that strategy. I love, I mean, I love how you're being intentional, being like, all right, there is so much more to writing a book than just writing the book. You have to build the ecosystem around it. Um, but kind of the point that I was getting at and something, I mean, maybe this is coming out of a point of self-consciousness for me because I know that 
I have my whys for doing everything. You know, I, I understand why I'm doing the podcast. I understand why I'm on LinkedIn. I understand why I'm working, you know, my, my day job. I understand the why behind it. But sometimes when it comes to executing on that why, especially when you don't have the energy, time or motivation, just because that fluctuates, you know, that fluctuates for everyone. When you don't have all of that enthusiasm towards your work, is it always possible to execute and do what you say you wanted to? And for me, what I've found is that external accountability has been really good at holding me accountable to the things that I said that I want to do. And it's been a push in the right direction to remind me like, okay, maybe I, maybe I didn't have the energy I thought for this, but I have to do it because I know other people are thinking about it and relying on me. And, and then that gets me at least to totally. start. And then I remember why I like doing it and why I want to do it. I mean, a great example was yesterday. I set the goal and, you know, I kind of am very public with the different goals that I have every day. Um, which is which is my form of external accountability. And so I set the goal of I want to finish a digital marketing lecture that I started online. And I had about half an hour left of it. And I had a brutal day at work. It was really long. I stayed an hour late. And then I get home like, dang it. Now I need to get to this dang lecture because it's on my goal and people are watching it. And then once I did get to it and I got through it and I was 30 seconds into it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is super interesting. That's why I want to do it. You know, and it's it's almost that external accountability helps pick me up in those moments when I might lose temporary motivation, but it helps remind me of the reason why that internal intrinsic why that I'm motivated to do something. And and that factors into my overall productivity throughout the day. So, I mean, yeah. And and, I mean, but again, you know, kind of going back to disagreement, you know, if it and, and perspective, if this works for me and it doesn't work for someone else, then. Um, then obviously do what's best for you. And that's why, you know, kind of hearing from you and your high performance tendencies, it's interesting to see if you are 100% turned on all the time or kind of what do you do then in those moments when you start struggling a little bit. So just one thought for you on the on the people that you surround yourself with, because I think this is important, that you can actually combine the external and the internal because if the people that are holding you accountable have the same internal driver as you, then you will be constantly reminded of why you're doing it on the most visceral emotional level. Totally. So for you, Brian, for example, building your podcast, surrounding yourself with other podcasters, other community builders, and other people who are building similar velocity products and businesses, that's going to be really, really key. Um, to So to answer your question on whether I'm on all the time, no, is the is the easy answer. I have off days <laughs> oh, just human. like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm mortal. I bleed. Yeah, I forgot to tell you that. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I had a full-blown men- meltdown on Sunday. I, I let one small problem become the center of my universe. And it's kind of a, it used to be a recurring trait for me when I was younger, four or five years ago, um, going through university, I had a real problem with letting things become the center of my universe. And I don't know if you've done a Myers-Briggs test, but I'm the ENFP and it turns out it was a recurring trait for, for my personality type. And Hmm. I was reading the Myers-Briggs test when I was going through this phase and I thought, wow, that's exactly me. And the solution is honestly to zoom out as best you can. Take a deep breath and zoom out. When you zoom out, you realize how short of a time you're actually here for. Like, I think even if I'm here for 100 years from now and I live to be 125, 
then at some point the universe is still going to swallow me up and at some point my name will be spoken for the last time. And when you realize the futility of your existence and really how meaningless it is, so true. That, that makes the problems that you're facing in that moment very, very small indeed. But it also gives you your secret weapon, which is that when you, if, if you can embrace the fact that so much of life is chaotic and maybe even meaningless, then you can choose to give meaning to whatever you want. There's no right way to do this. There's no country, state, religion, or mission that can tell you what to believe. That's totally in your eyes and in, you, in your hands. And if you choose to construct a paradigm where you believe that helping people with self-improvement every single day, just two or three minutes, can change the world, then there's a pretty good chance that it will. So my advice when you're struggling is to zoom out and then decide what actually is going to matter to you. Yeah, no, I mean, that's great advice. And, and I think it requires self-awareness. That's something that you indirectly touched on with kind of the Myers-Briggs test is understanding who you are and why you have certain tendencies to behave a certain way. So I think, I think self-awareness is just a massive tool that we all have in our back pocket to, to understand the real reasons behind certain things and to be brutally honest with yourself. Just because something threatens you doesn't mean it's not healthy, you know? So, so being in a position to accept challenge, to accept um, maybe deficiencies in yourself, to understand, like you said, I mean, you have your, what do you call them? Your, um, your unfair advantage. Yeah, your unfair advantage. You know, knowing your pros, knowing your cons helps you to, to be self-aware and, and fit the, the puzzle piece in the right spot. So, mm -hmm. and then again, kind of growing on, you know, the getting back to the internal extrinsic um, dilemma here is that, yeah, surrounding yourself with the right people will be the vehicle that you need to remind yourself on a constant basis of your internal uh, why, of your internal motivation, your internal reasons. And that's kind of actually, you know, talking about the podcast, the reason why I created the podcast, you touched on it, is because it holds me accountable to trying new personal development techniques. Every single week, I'm trying something new because I want to share it and I want to be able to talk about it. But then now what I've done recently and something I'm extremely excited about is I've created this self-improvement accountability group. So like you said, getting people who are all motivated, high performers with high aspirations in the same forum, talking and sharing ideas is something that will remind everyone they check their Facebook, because it's a Facebook group. Every time they check their Facebook, every time they're interested in or maybe if they're looking for motivation it's an easy place to go to to be like look all right these are the people that i want to be like and these are the reasons why i want to be the person that i want to be so totally i i think you yeah i think you hit nail on the head with um surround yourself with the right people understand your own why and yeah be realistic about things not always going to plan and having a strategy maybe a self-awareness strategy that allows you to overcome the feel, feelings of animosity or the challenges that you're experiencing. So, I mean, I think that's probably the best lesson that we've learned in this conversation. Um, and I appreciate you kind of coming full circle and tying them all together. Anyway, Ben, yeah, I mean, we could talk for ages, but um, I, I do just want to thank you so much for taking some time, especially in Bali right now. You know, you could be doing so many other things, exploring your new town, but thank you for sharing this, these moments with me here in Bali. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I mean, for everyone who's looking to, to understand a little bit more about Ben, what he's up to and what he's doing, the best place to learn more about him 
is through his podcast that we've been talking about called Subject Matter. And he's working on season two right now. So there's a lot of really great, interesting, informative, and disagreement-oriented content that's coming up for you. So definitely give Ben a look there. And if you enjoy podcasts kind of like this, where it is a back and forth with that disagreement, then that would be another place to get a lot of information that could value you as well. So Ben, before we sign off, what is this, the one takeaway that we could kind of come upon uh, from this conversation that you just want to share with everyone? Make sure it really, uh, really resounds for people. The people that you surround yourself with, they're there to push you forward, but they're also there to call you out. Yes, you want to surround yourself with people who are aligned with your why and people who will keep your fire burning because motivation is a little bit like taking a shower. You need it once a day. (laughs) But also, you need people who are going to know when you're going too far in the wrong direction, when an idea is not worth pursuing, and when you maybe are a little bit deluded or believing in your myths so much. So, yes, be glass half full with other people, with building communities that surround yourself with the right mission, but also be ruthless with yourself. You are flawed, you'll make mistakes, and you need people that can cut your rate of mistakes as quickly as possible. So go out there and find that balance. So, how'd you like it? Our first self-improvement sit down with Ben Bradbury, and God, does he have a beautiful voice. We covered a variety of things, but to quickly recap, We talked about disagreement and the type of people that are worth your time in disagreement. We talked about saying yes or no to life and how each choice can be beneficial to you and your career at different stages. And we talked about accountability and how it ties into motivation and taking action on your why. As mentioned a few times, Ben's podcast is called Subject Matter. Definitely give it a look. And if you found this episode in style valuable, let me know. Reach me at selfimprovementdailytips at gmail.com or through Instagram at self.improvement.daily. I'm hoping to come out with a new self-improvement sit-down every two weeks or so, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss another episode moving forward. Thanks for taking the time to listen today, and I'll see you next time on Self-Improvement Daily.